Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today, we're bringing you a conversation from Fidelity Canada's Vision 2024 event in Toronto. Vision offers insights from our portfolio managers and investment experts and provides their comments on the current market environment, Fidelity's investment process, and our global research network operation. The following conversation is with legendary and longtime Fidelity portfolio manager, Will Danoff. Will highlights his investment strategy and how it has changed throughout his tenure. He also highlights sectors and industries he's looking at and how technological innovation shapes his investment decisions. This conversation was recorded on January 31st, 2024. I wanted to point out, well, in 2017, we had our big event at Roy Thompson Hall, which so many of you were at, and that was when we launched Insights. And I remember you didn't walk on stage, you ran on stage with a pile of notes like that. You were exuberant about being in front of our Canadian advisors and also talking about the meetings that you're able to have and how excited you are about Canada. Could you talk about just the fact that you've, you've come up and done meetings yesterday, you've got some today as well? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a very good point, Glenn, and Ryan Oldham and a couple of my uh, other close colleagues come up and we get a chance to see some of the all-stars from you know the Canadian Business Hall of Fame. I mean, we had dinner with the great Pierre Lassonde from Franco Nevada, what a great... Uh, entrepreneur and, and businessman talked a little bit about copper and gold and you know he's had a little bit of a trip in uh, Panama one of the the royalty mines is uh, shut down right now and we met with Dave McKay from uh, Royal Bank of Canada got an update there they bought this HSBC division doing really well and they own uh, he's put in new people at uh, City National which is mm-hmm. one of his American acquisitions so it was great to see him and this morning we got started uh, 7.30 with GFL, the uh, trash collector. Patrick is mm-hmm. one of the great entrepreneurs of this country, and he's totally fired up. You know, it sounds like everybody's waste bills are going to be going up, Glenn. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you can do anything about it. Uh, and then you've got some meetings this afternoon Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. And then, you know, we did, you know, Intact Financial, which is a, a great Canadian insurance company that made an acquisition in England, doing really well. Prem Watson was, uh, I think, down in Lyford, but I saw his one of his executives and got the update on Fairfax, and then we just saw Bruce Flatt from Brookfield. So it's been a great morning. It's great to be here. And, you know, what I, what I think, you know, one of the lessons learned is showing up. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was lucky enough in the early 90s to know George Sherman, who was the CEO of Danaher, and George had literally been to, like, every great plant, manufacturing plant in Asia. And... He understood the Toyota production system. He studied with Dr. No, who created the Toyota manufacturing system. So one of the, you know, Kaizen, of course, is continuous improvement. And I would urge everybody, you know, to think, you know, as you go home tonight, you know, doing little things just a little better Mm -hmm. every week, you know, calling one more client, you know, thinking about one more relationship that I can improve on in my office, you know, and Every week, if we can do a little bit more, you know, I think back to when, uh, you know, we were talking about kids, Glenn, my, my daughter was born in uh, February of uh, 99, and my wife was like, we need one more trip, so I was like, all right, so we went to Vienna, and on the way back, we stopped in London, and there was a Alex Brown U.S. conference in London, and she was like, well, God damn it, you know, we're on vacation, and I'm like, well... I just want to go to one more meeting at four o'clock. And it turned out it was Mettler Toledo, which had been a spin out of, I think, 
Well, uh, it, it was a private equity IPO, but back then there weren't that many private equity mm -hmm. IPOs. And I heard the story and it was like, you know, we're expanding in the emerging markets. We're moving to low-cost manufacturing markets. We're mixing up. We're generating a ton of free cash flow. And I'm like, God, this is like a $7 billion market cap. And literally 20 years later, the company wrote me a letter and said, you've been a really important shareholder. And it was all because I showed up at 4.30, the last meeting wow. of the day, and said, I need to do this. So, you know, Kaizen was one of the great lessons. But the whole point was, like, the, one of the other Japanese business principles is Gemba. And Gemba is like where the work is. I think it's a Japanese word for work. So we got to be where the work is. Mm -hmm. And for me, you got to get to headquarters. You got to go, you know, one of the most exciting meetings this year, Glenn was going down to Boca Chica, Texas. I've mm -hmm. never, has anybody been to the Rio Grande border? And, you know, anyway, it's very hard to get to, but I wanted to see the SpaceX launch pad. Right. And, you know, I think SpaceX is going to be a really important company. And through our relationships with Tesla and with Elon Musk, we were invited to go. And it was remarkable just to see it. I mean, these ships are massive, but that was sort of Gemba. If you want to understand SpaceX, you've got to go to Hawthorne and see where they make the engines. And you've got to go to Boca Chica to see where they launch the rockets. But that's what I do. And then, you know, somebody said, you know, I run the biggest fund, you know, in, in the uh, in the country, but the reality is I've got a great team. So what you don't see up here is you know the Ryan Oldhams and the Harrison Kenners and you know young people, old people, but we've got you know critical mass is what I call it. you know we we know our hopefully in theory it's like if we know our industries better than everybody else, if we know our companies better than anybody else, and we're you know we've got a great high yield department, we've got a great convertible guy. If, if we're looking at the entire capital structure, now we're doing some privates, so maybe we see the companies even before they go public, Glenn, that you know, the more we see, the better we'll do. I mean, mm -hmm. this is what Bruce has done at Brookfield. I mean, he's all over the world in all these asset classes. And, you know, it's, I was in Japan, and I, I had to speak with uh, some of our, our colleagues over there, and they said, well, Kuramata-san is here. I'm like, I don't know Kuramata-san. Kuramata-san opened the Fidelity office in 1969. He's like 88 and he was there. years old. He was there. So P.S. I said, well, you knew, you knew Abby's grandfather. Wow. You know, he knew the founder of Fidelity, the great Mr. Johnson. And I said, yeah, well, you know, what did he tell you? He said, Mr. Johnson had this theory. We talked about it. You know, investing is sort of like shopping. You know, I guess Ramona likes high quality. Mm -hmm. I might like low price, but to be able to see the entire market, and I guess Amazon and the internet, it allows you to do this if you have the time, you can pick exactly what you want. So, I, a the, question about yeah. Japan, if I could, and yeah. Yuri will know this as well. I heard well, a long time ago that the Japanese office was so small that the chart room was in the floor mm. with a glass floor and on the walls as well. And they had to make do with the space that they had. I'm sure they have more space. I now. think they've moved and, you know, they've split up and everything. But it was funny because Kuramata-san was like, ah, Contrafund. Who was that fellow who used to run Contrafund? And I was thinking, who is he talking about? So it was like, Leo Dworsky. So Leo, again, had been one of these icon, the giants who built Fidelity. He was the second fund manager of, of Contra. Took over, I think Contra started in 1968. And he took over in like 69. 
So I was reflecting at one of my previous kickoffs about 10 years ago. I invited Leo to speak to the group and talk about the old days. And he decided, because he was like in his 80s, that he was a, sort of afraid to do an interview like this. Mm -hmm. He would just read an article mm -hmm. he had written in 1981 about contrarian investing. So the problem was, could you imagine if I just was reading this article? So I was like, Leo, Leo, people want to talk to you about what it was like in the old days, what it was like. And he kept reading. And so finally, it was like five minutes before the damn thing was ending. And I said, Leo, you must stop. Answer this question. What was it like in the old days at Fidelity when Mr. Johnson was running it? You know what he said? It was stressful. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. I mean, I, 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 you know, Ramona, Jeff, we all have to perform for you. So it is stressful, and you got to deal with that stress. Talking about stress, 1990, fund had been out since 19... So this is Contra Fund that Insights is based on. 1967, it started. 1990, you were working with Peter Lynch. You got the opportunity to run Contra. Yeah. Take us back to 1990. What was that like? How did you get picked? Like, you know, what I, happened? Well, you guys all knew Joel Tillinghast, you know, who, who ran, the, I think, you know, a value fund here and started the low price stock fund. And in like an 89, Joel went to Mr. Johnson and said, I have this idea and God bless Mr. Johnson. He said, give it a try, you know. And so I was sort of the last one of my class, Glenn, to be given So he a had fund. low price stock fund. He had low and then price you said, well, I've got to do there something. Were others, yeah. So there was a shuffle and Contra opened up. It was only about 300 million. And I moved up, but again, the team was so great. I just walked around and talked to the other analysts and said, you know, I'm a new fund manager. Help me, you know, understand your industry. Which companies do you like? These are the companies that Contra owns. What do you think? And if you remember, and I think it was Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait, mm -hmm. so the market was down. Mm -hmm. And God bless some of my colleagues who I had grown up with in the, in the department like pounding the table on certain names. And it was it was a stock picker's market. I know Ramona said it, it's a stock picker's market. And I it's always a stock picker's market. But at that moment in time, everything was down and mm -hmm. was able to do a good job. And, you know, but the fund itself was in great shape. And I had learned from uh, the predecessor fund manager. And, you know, for a brief moment, he sort of said, yeah, I'll talk to you for 15, 20 minutes, but I have my new fund to run. So... <laughs> You know, but it, and you had Peter on your side, and P, yeah, Peter has stayed. You know, Peter just turned eighty. Um, you know, just a remarkable investor, remarkable individual. You know, but Peter was in. You know, we're talking about work from home. Uh, you know, coming back to the office. You know, when I was an analyst, three Saturdays a week, yeah. uh, a, a month, we were all in. Mm -hmm. It was like you know Grand Central Station on a Saturday because the great one, Peter Lynch, was there. But Peter just. And still to this day, if you ask him about his stories, he knows the business mm -hmm. so well. And he, you know, had a great, you know, everyone's like, how do you know if you can trust management? He was just sort of open. Tell me what you are doing, what you're hoping to do. He would take good notes. And then he would assume that management was telling the truth. And that's, you know, not a bad thing. But he was just remarkable in terms of the breadth of his understanding his ability to, you know, really build a team and know, you know, it's sort of no, you know, he wrote the book, know what you own. And again, if everyone collectively at Fidelity can work together, share their insights, we can have better insights. And, you know, I mean, I remember we had some gal who came and, and started with us and I was like, you know, I've only worked for Fidelity. What's it like at some other firms? And she was like, 
What's great about Fidelity is if there's any company I want to visit, if there's any trade show I want to go to, if there's a supplier I want to talk to, a customer I want to talk to, I can go and do it. Like at my other firm, there was a travel budget. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't, I had to justify what I was doing. So that's sort of my vision that, hey, if you need to go back and, you know, talk to the treasurer to understand the mm -hmm. accounting or whatever, but we, in theory, you know, are seeing the, the, the great jigsaw puzzle, the three-dimensional chess problem a little bit better because we are talking to suppliers, we're talking to customers, we're talking to competitors. And again, you know, for me, Glenn, it's pretty simple. What have you done in the last five to seven years? You know, I mean, the companies I saw today have executed really, really well in the last five to seven years. And then it's, well, what are you planning to do? Why have you done so well? Or what, you know, what happened here and during COVID? And then what are you hoping to do in the next five to seven years? And then you have to assess, do I, right. you know, do I trust? One of the lessons learned is, you know, when you're a partner with the management team because they own stock, that makes me feel a little better, you know? Prem Watts is like a really wealthy man because he's a shareholder of Fairfax, and I don't think he wants to trash Fairfax's value. Right. Contra Fund then created Insights, mm -hmm. actually Will created Insights yeah. in 2017, which yes. was launched here in Canada. And thank you all for your support. It's Wonderful nice support. Ride. Can you talk about the makeup of the portfolio and the attributions to that performance? Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, my largest position is Meta Platforms. My mother always says, you know, ah, do you trust that guy, Mark Zuckerberg? Isn't, isn't Facebook bad? And, you know, <laughs> mom, it's my largest position. Uh, but She's a shareholder, I, I yes, assume. Yes, yes. Um, so I believe the latest numbers, Glenn, are that between WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook, Meta has 3.6 billion daily active users. Mm -hmm. And you know, you start thinking, well, there are eight billion people in the world. A billion and a half of them are in China, so we're down to six and a half. And then of the six and a half, you know, you pick your number, a quarter or like twelve and under, or maybe a fifth. So whatever eighty percent of six and a half, you know, you know, um, you know, five and a quarter billion people who could be Facebook users or uh, meta users. And he's got 3.6. He's got 70% of all adults. I mean, who's using WhatsApp, Instagram, or Facebook? This may be a little older crowd. But, no, it's 900 know, hands just went up. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a remarkable platform that he has built. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I don't know. Do you know how old Mark Zuckerberg is? Good guess. He's going to be 40 in May. Excellent. Gold star. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's still young. And yes, he's got this big bet, you know, mixed reality, and he's spending a lot of money, and I hope it works. But, you know, he's like Elon Musk. He's, in, he's innovating. He's, you know, and there is some benefit to the innovation. So, you know, he's a very profitable company. Last year, or in 2022, Apple made some privacy changes that caught up with him. And then TikTok, of course, has taken over the world. This crowd is not really TikTok people, but, you know, it's been, you know, the average TikTok user is spending 80 or 90, you know, your girls may be spending 80 or 90 uh, minutes a day on TikTok. So that hurt him. Anyway, estimates went down. But what do great managers do? This is the other thing you see. It's like business slowed down and he cut costs. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, because of some tweaks of his algorithms, engagement improved. So his revenues were a little better and his costs went down. He cut 25% of his staff. I mean, it was, it's meaningful. So estimates went up 
and the stock went up. So the other lesson for me, Glenn, is stocks follow earnings per share. So you know, if anybody whispers to you and says, you know, ooh, I got a hot stock, just say, is it profitable? And if the answer is no, you can say, well, when do you think it's going to be profitable? But you know, all the research, and this I'm borrowing from Joel, who you know has studied the market a lot more closely than I do. Unprofitable companies don't perform well. Wasn't that something Warren Buffett said to you a long time ago about stock prices follow earnings? Yeah, you know, Warren, we all need to learn, you know, and listen carefully to Warren, but. We had this unbelievable, again, Fidelity is a pretty special place, Glenn. Mm. Uh, we had hired Tracy Britt as a summer intern. She had a great experience. I think she covered the waste company. She came back. She was covering railroads. And I remember, you know, hey, Tracy, good to see you again. How was your summer? Oh, it was great. I went traveling. And you know what happened? I got a job with Warren Buffett. I was like, what? You know, because no one was just getting a job with Warren Buffett. You know, I met him at the, in an MBA day, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Tracy then went to work for Warren. She was one of the t three T's with Todd Combs and Ted Wexler and Tracy Britt. And you know, during that time, she was able to convince Warren to have an MBA day just for Fidelity. Hmm. So back in, I think, 2013, about 100 of us stock jocks from Fidelity flew out there. I remember my boss was like, well, what are we going to do? And I said, you're going to say yes to anybody at Fidelity who wants to see Warren Buffett. So you know. We all went around, and I was like, Mr. Buffett, I'm managing $100 billion. At that time, I was running, my, my book's now a quarter of a trillion, Glenn. I, I like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah. A quarter of a trillion. But <laughs> I, I was managing $100 billion, and I kind of said, I didn't ask to manage $100 billion, but that's my, that's my issue. What advice would you give me? And the great sage said, well, you know, you got to think long term. you got to think about where this company is going to be 10 years out. So I think we all can sort of say, you know, which of our companies do we feel comfortable with? You know, do I trust management? Do I really understand? It's okay to say, you know, I don't know if the smartphone's going to be around in 10 years. I think it will, but you know, at least be aware. And then he said, you got to bet big. You know, hmm. I have a good idea. He said, I have a good idea every two years. And I'm thinking the guy's a genius. All he does is think about the stock market. He only has an idea, a good idea once you know, every two years. So it was at that time, if you study ContraFund carefully, you know, Peter had like 1,300 names. Mm -hmm. Joel has like 1,000 names, right. a lot of small companies. And I had like 800. And after that, I was like, I got to look at the long tail and say up or out. So I cut my name count down to like 350 or below, which is about what I like. But, you know, I, Spencer, you know, if you've got a long drive out to the country or the lake, you know, just listen to Warren Buffett on YouTube. And, you know, there's some great interviews with him. You know, keep it simple. And Charlie Munger, rest in peace. Uh, you must have learned a lot from Charlie as well. Yeah, well, again, only at Fidelity. Charlie, in his later years, was the lead director of Costco Wholesale. I mm -hmm. think there are some Costco's up in Canada. Mm -hmm. What a, a remarkable few. company, you know. Yeah. You can get gas at them, too. Yes. Can't buy booze. Everybody likes a bargain, Glenn, you know. <laughs> so, you know, but premium products at a discounted price. It's, it's an amazing equation. And so... They had a, what's called a staggered board, and they needed a special vote from the big shareholders. And Fidelity was one of the top 10 shareholders. So all of a sudden, the retail analyst, Peter Dixon, runs into my office and says, you know, Richard called me 
and Richard was the CFO, and I had been the retail analyst before I took over ContraFund, so I knew Richard. He, you know, it's, it's amazing with these good companies how there are long-standing executives. So Richard has been the CFO since the, you know, the, since it went public, I think, in 85, so whatever that. He's coming up on 40 years. Anyway, he says, Charlie Munger wants to talk to us about our vote. He's willing to meet us in New York. And I said, say yes. <laughs> so again, a group of us, there were probably 30, Justin Bennett, who was with us last night and this morning, and a few others, went down to New York, and it was like a mini Berkshire meeting. And Charlie was remarkable. He also talked about one good idea every couple of years. He talked about the coffee can approach to investing. You buy something, you put it in the coffee can, and you don't worry about it. And if you're pretty good, it, it works out all right. But a whole different view of, you know, what's the market going to do? What should I do today? What should I do, to, you know, at 2 o'clock, you know? But <laughs> what, what, what I will never forget, Charlie was extremely well-read, extremely smart. And he said, you know, I like Fidelity. You guys have a good reputation. Listen carefully, Glenn. You haven't supped with the devil. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> you and me both. But you know, this idea of, you know, I'm getting, you know, pitched all the time and, you know, get rich quick, this and that, you know, think about the partners that you want to align with. And, you know, I mean, Charlie had seen a lot of people come and go and, you know, I've gotten sucked into a lot of names that will remain, you know, <laughs> under, the, under the carpet. In the coffee but, can. You know, <laughs> Mistakes are part of the game. That's the other point. You don't want to get frozen. I've, you know, Joel and I, I saw more companies in our, you know, whatever, 35 years together. We made more mistakes and we tried to, to learn from them. And, you know, Joel retired and I was remembering, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, we saw and, you know, you show up and you listen and sometimes you're tempted, but... Politely saying no is not such a bad investment strategy. Yeah, you and Joel had a lot of time together. Let's go to AI because Microsoft is within your top five. Yeah. I'm assuming you're thinking AI is something pretty wonderful. Yeah. I mean, listen, the people I like aren't referring to it as artificial intelligence, which sounds a little alien and mm -hmm. Martian, but think about AI as augmented reality. Mm -hmm. AI is like software. It is software. It's like software on steroids. It's going to make everybody more efficient, more effective, hopefully. You know, it's sort of like Google, but it's right there. It's going to know you. And we're all going to have co-pilots who are going to make us better. And, you know, hopefully it'll do, you know, one of the great Canadian executives right now is Toby Litke, who's running Shopify. The guy is a genius. He's talking about GitHub Copilot, which is one of the Microsoft products, working with his developers the, the co-pilot's going to do the toil, the 45 minutes of your day that you don't like, you know, the work that's sort of a pain in the neck, you know, filling out a form or, you know, doing your expense report. The co-pilot is mm -hmm. going to do mm -hmm. that. So I think it's going to be, you know, an extension of this great technology trend that we've seen, you know, literally since I've been running ContraFund. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's good for big companies because they're going to be more efficient. It's good for tech companies. You know, Microsoft is, you know, a very profitable, you know, large company that's still growing. And, you know, the issue, the challenge now for the, the, uh, the AI companies is who's going to spend the money to build the data centers? Because I was going to say, 
and it's capital light. But for those who want to make the investment in AI, it's going to be more capital intensive. So on the margin, not quite as sweet a story, but I think AI is going to be so big that it's not going to matter. But my, you know, Satya Nadella, the other point is, you know, you think about the top of the S&P 500, these are really, really well-managed companies mm -hmm. because the smartest people all over the world have somehow ended up running these companies. You know, Sundar Pichai, you know, he, I think his parents like had a scooter in, in, in India. He didn't have, you know, grow up with, in the lap of luxury. Mm -hmm. You know, Elon grew up in South Africa, moved to Canada, you know, was educated. Yeah, went to Queens. Queens, yep. you know, ends up in Silicon Valley. So, you know, I, we see this over and over. Jensen, who's in the middle of the AI rev revolution, I think when he was eight or nine, left Taiwan. And, you know, mm -hmm. we had this remarkable meeting with Jensen. I could not believe it. I thought, you know, whatever. He, you know, went to Ivy League school or whatever. His parents sent him to his uncle somewhere on the West Coast. His uncle said, I'm going to send you to a boarding school to learn English. It wasn't a boarding school. It was a reform school. <laughs> Swear to God, read, read the article in The New Yorker. And, you know, it's exactly how he told me. So, I, you know, I'm assuming it's true. But, you know, it's part of his lore. His roommate was like a gang member. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess you learn how to communicate pretty quickly, Glenn. I guess anyway, so. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Whatever. Let's, please, other questions. Uh, Eli Lilly, that's, <laughs> we'll move on from gangs. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Eli Lilly's in, uh, I think, is around number eight or so. Is that a play on the obesity drug? Yeah. You know, it's, it's remarkable um, what happens. Lilly, of course, with Novo, was a leader in diabetes, mm -hmm. which is, you know, a real pandemic in, around the world. And the insight, you know, before COVID, going out to J.P. Morgan one year, meeting with their R&D head, you know, the next generation GLP-1s are really powerful. And I was like, wow, you know, diabetes is a big unmet medical need. And, you know, you might have a solution. But this was like they had good phase two data. And then it turns out, you know, either it was Novo or Lilly, like in the phase three, saw that there was weight loss. And now they've done the, the trials, you know, specifically for weight loss. But what they're finding is these GLP-1s are like anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, it's not just you lose weight, but like your heart mm -hmm. functions more effectively. So, you know, we'll see. The issue is stocks follow earnings and Lily, the earnings are on the come. Like if you look at the stock is up a ton and the earnings are still down here, but you know, the expectations are they going to continue to go. But again, what do you look for? You look for innovation. You look for profitable innovation. And, you know, I can't tell you, several of the drug companies have come in and they say, you know, I'm like, what, who else do you admire? Which companies do you trying to learn from? And they're like, we're trying to figure out how it was that Eli Lilly in Indianapolis, Indiana has been so innovative. Wow. And ironically, it's, I think, because once you commit to going to Indianapolis, you stay in Indianapolis and, you know, you're long term and you get to know your colleagues and you can roll the dice a little bit. But, yeah, you know, we're looking for, you know, the other themes right now would be, you know, the green theme, you know, data centers are driving a lot of sort of the rebuilding and building of the grid in, you know, all over the world. The power but, power know, grid. Power yep. grid, you know, so companies like Eaton and Hubble. You know, you, you build a wind farm, but the wind farm's where the wind blows, and you want 
the electricity where the data center sure. is. So you got to, you know, lay cable and make sure you've got uh, repeaters and all this other stuff. So that's another theme. You know, we'll see what where the geopolitics takes things, but there are a lot of opportunities and, you know, just showing up and looking for companies that, you know, have done well and that we think are going to continue to do well. But again, working with the team, I mean, you know, I, I met Sam Walton way, way back when I was a retail analyst and Sam's people were, you know, they were always a little skeptical of the, the Fidelity guy mm -hmm. from Boston, you know, they were down in Bentonville and they said, you know, we, we all have MBWAs. We don't have MBAs down in Bentonville. We have MBWAs, management by walking around. So that's what I try to do at Fidelity. I walk around and try to sort of bump into somebody and say, as we were talking earlier, you know, hey, I haven't, you know, we haven't talked steel in a while. Let's talk steel. You know, who is, you know, who is the best steel company in the world? I think that's a, a good starting point if you're talking to the steel analyst. Or, you know, you mentioned, you know, Lilly is probably considered the best drug company in the world right now. It's pretty mm -hmm. remarkable. So, you know, in every industry, there is probably a recognized leader. And that's sort of where I want to start my research. I remember I was on the uh, 14th floor of 245 Summer, that's mm -hmm. head office down in Boston. And the 14th floor is the floor that all the company meetings, thousands mm -hmm. of company meetings come in every year. I was up there doing a video with Dan Kelly. And okay. I remember coming out in the hall and you, for lack of a better explanation, you were like a pinball going from room to room to room. And it wasn't because you were getting kicked out. It was because you were going in, you have mm -hmm. open access as everybody does to, it, to talk with all the companies, hear what the analysts are talking about, and then put your thesis together. Talk about how you, how do you process all of the yeah. information that comes to you? Well, I, I want to acknowledge Dan Kelly is running the Founders Fund mm -hmm. up here. And we were talking with Patrick and talking with some of the other founders uh, that we were with uh, on this trip, you know, as I said, one of the themes is, you know, founders tend to attract, mm -hmm. you know, more motivated people. They tend to work a little harder. They've got a vision that may be differentiated. And if it works, it can work very profitably. I mean, Jensen's, you know, the great founder, you know, 20 years later after killing himself, he's an overnight success. Mm -hmm. But, um, but that's a really good fund. If you don't, if you haven't looked at, well, I don't even know the name of it, but the uh, Founders Fund, the Founders yep. Fund up here. I like Dan Kelly a lot. This was an idea that Joel and I had, or I had, because I'm like, I'm thinking about mm -hmm. what's the common theme of a lot of my names. They're all run by founders, and I like founders. And and then I ran it by Joel, and luckily they introduced it and they gave it to Dan, who's a very hardworking guy, and I think he's doing well. But. Um, but for you, the consumption. You know, we of we have a lot of. It's very efficient for me to mm -hmm. be in Boston. If, you know, there's an 8 o'clock, a 9 o'clock, a 10 o'clock, an 11 o'clock, you know, before lunch, I can see four companies and, you know, sometimes there are meetings at the same time. And that's why I have to sneak out, you know, and mm -hmm. literally do a, you know, a half hour is probably enough. And sometimes it can, it can really focus the meeting, you know, <laughs> I only have a half hour. Tell me what happened in the last three years. What are you doing about AI? You know, what do you think about the Chinese political situation and, you know, Who's your best competitor? You know, boom, boom, boom. You know, and your questions have probably evolved a lot as well. Now you'd be asking about AI, perhaps debt refinancing, given where it rates. Yeah, are. you know, rates have been a big change. That's for sure. The reshoring for a while, I was pushing a lot of companies on. You know, where are you in terms of COVID and back? You know, getting back. You know, and and COVID in many ways inspired a lot of founders, mm. particularly the tech investors were like. 
this is a huge opportunity, you know, because, you know, sort of corporate North America had to make sure their infrastructure worked, you know, not only to, to do business through their website, but make sure that all their workers could work from home. So there was a huge refresh, you know, a huge move to the cloud. It's usually tech related and, you know, AI is sort of like, what, act, you know, is this AI actually helping you? And, um, you know, one of the CEOs was like, you know, one of my board members said that our, you know, the, his, his engineers were saving like an hour a day. So I told all our engineers, you better try GitHub Copilot. And, you know, they've been really happy, maybe not saving an hour a day, but they've been happy with it because in the end, you need to know, you know, this AI, it's mm -hmm. nice, but and Satya Nadella, will, Glenn will sell you a lot of AI if you want it, but it has to work in the end. And we're still trying to figure out what are going to be the killer apps. But, you know, you think about when you had your first, you know, smartphone, your first iPhone, were you thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to be able to call a cab and, you know, what's right. an Uber? And, right. you know, I'm sure your wife would say, are, you know, I am not going to get into some stranger's car, <laughs> you know, or staying in, at an Airbnb. Am I going to stay in some stranger's house? That's crazy. But so I think that's where we are in AI. We can't, I haven't fully appreciated what it will bring us, but I'm excited and, you know, it's it's pretty remarkable. If, if you haven't played around with ChatGPT, I would urge you to, to play around with it. We've got just a couple of minutes left. Yeah. I want to just reflect on the fact that you now are a wonderful mentor to so many, but you've learned from so many of the greats. What's the most valuable lesson that you've learned? Oh How's it affected what you do? Glenn today? didn't show me these, these questions. It just came up. Wow, that's great. Um, He's good at thinking on his feet though, I would agree. I wish I could adopt more of the Munger Buffett buy and hold. I, I, you know, we're tempted every day, you know, that the Quotron is flashing, you know, sell me, buy me, sell me, you know. I've, I've, I've seen all of these great companies. And a matter of fact, I, when I saw Jensen recently, NVIDIA exceeded a trillion in market cap, and I pulled up my notes and I had seen him in like 1993, and in 20 years, he's literally gone up, uh, I think it's been like a 27% compounded return. I mean, it's just remarkable. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. It might've been a 200 million market cap, or it might've been a billion market cap to a trillion, a thousand X in 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I was there, you know, I have no excuses. So it's sort of like, how do you can sort of package like, this is a big theme, I am just gonna buy and hold. And I haven't been able to, that would be somehow if you could figure out how to buy and hold, you know, one, identify great entrepreneurs who are also great businessmen, and then just hang on. That's sort of aspirationally what I would like to do. But, you know, the, the other lesson is, you know, someone was joking because I was like, I know someone's going to ask me what about the market. The market is up like 75 to 80% of all years. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the geopolitics are going to change and, you know, the U.S. federal deficit is going to finally catch up to the markets. But, you know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs. They are super smart. They're working really hard. They are making very accretive decisions to grow earnings. And the market's going to double in a decade. And there are going to be opportunities to buy companies that are growing, let's say, 15% a year. So, you know, you want to beat inflation, I think you've got to buy equities. Great. And you've been lo very loyal within your portfolio. It stood you very well, as you said before you came on stage. So it's been excellent to have you up it's here. It's been great. Thank Will you Will Danoff, all. everybody. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Will.
Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.